this morning we're reading from Shrimad Bhagavatam, Shrimad Bhagavata Purana, uh, from the third canto, chapter 26, Fundamental Principles of Material Nature, and we are hearing from who is speaking these verses? Hmm? Kapiladev, yes. All right, let's chant the verse. Gunair vichitra srijatim. Gunair vichitra srijatim. Sarupa prakritim praja. Sarupa prakritim praja. Vilokya mumohe sadya. Vilokya mumohe sadya. Saiha jnana guhaya. Saiha jnana guhaya. Okay, what's it all mean? Gunai, <clears throat> by the threefold modes, vichitra, variegated, sujatim, creating, sarupa, with forms, prakritim, material nature, prajaha, Living entities. Vilokya, having seen. Mumohe, was illusioned. Sadya, at once. Saha, the living entity. Iha, in this world. Jnana Guhaya by the knowledge covering feature. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Translation Divided into varieties by her threefold modes. Material nature creates the forms of the living entities. And the living entities, seeing this, are illusioned by the knowledge-covering feature of the illusory energy. Purport. Material energy has the power to cover knowledge. But this covering cannot be applied to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. It is applicable only to the praja, or those who are born with material bodies, uh, the conditioned souls. The different kinds of living entities vary according to the modes of material nature, as explained in Bhagavad Gita and other Vedic literature. In Bhagavad Gita 7.12, it is very nicely explained that although the modes of goodness, passion, and ignorance are born 
of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He is not subject to them. In other words, the energy emanating from the Supreme Personality of Godhead cannot act on him. It acts on the conditioned souls who are covered by material energy. The Lord is the father of all living entities because he impregnates material energy with the conditioned souls. Therefore, the conditioned souls get bodies created by the material energy. Whereas the father of the living entities is aloof from the three modes. It is stated in the previous verse that the material energy was accepted by the Supreme Personality of Godhead in order that he might exhibit pastimes for the living entities who wanted to enjoy and lord it over the material energy. This world was created through the material energy of the Lord for the so-called enjoyment of such living entities. Why this material world was created for the sufferings of the conditioned souls is a very intricate question, which Srila Prabhupada will discuss. There is a hint in the previous verse in the word Lilaya, which means for the pastimes of the Lord. The Lord wants to rectify the enjoying temperament of the conditioned souls. It is stated in Bhagavad Gita that no one is the enjoyer, but the Supreme Personality of Godhead. When I first heard this as a new bhakta, I felt so relieved that I don't have to try to be the, the enjoyer. Desperately, I was trying to enjoy. It wasn't working. And then I, then I learned, you're never going to do it. It's never going to happen. So don't worry about it. But don't think there's no one enjoying. There is someone enjoying. Who is that? <laughs> Yes. This material energy is created, therefore, for anyone who pretends to enjoy. <laughs> pretends. The idea of pretending to enjoy, does this make you think of anything? Any, any associations you have of pretending to enjoy? Yes. I'm forgetting your good name. Guy Jai Gorton, yes. It makes me think of like children that have like a little setup and they cook in the kitchen. Uh huh. That's all things. They don't actually eat food. Uh huh, yes. There's no food from it, yes. Huh? Like when they have a little tea <laughs> yes, <laughs> or they make they make soup, which is actually mud. <laughs> <clears throat> 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 
This material energy is created, therefore, for anyone who pretends to enjoy. An example can be cited here that there is no necessity for the government's creation of a separate police department. But because it is a fact that some of the citizens will not accept the state laws, a department to deal with criminals is necessary. There is no necessity. But at the same time, there is a necessity. <laughs> Prabhupada says there is no necessity, but at the same time, there is a necessity. Similarly, there was no necessity to create this material world for the sufferings of the conditioned souls. But at the same time, there are certain living entities known as nitya-badha who are eternally conditioned. We say that they have been conditioned from time immemorial because no one can trace out when the living entity, the part and parcel of the Supreme Lord, became rebellious against the supremacy of the Lord. It is a fact that there are two classes of men, those who are obedient to the laws of the Supreme Lord and those who are atheists or agnostics who do not accept the existence of God and who want to create their own laws. It's interesting that Prabhupada includes agnostics here. Generally, in English language, we understand agnostic is one who says, I don't know, is there God or is there not God? Uh, or some will go a step further and they will say, it is not possible to know whether there is a God or not. Um, of course, the word comes from gnosis, uh, the Greek word gnosis. And where does the word, where does gnosis come from? Anyone know? Huh? Yana, yes. It's a cognate of yana. Anyway, it's interesting that Prabhupada includes, uh, he puts atheists and agnostics together. They do not accept the existence of God and want to create their own laws. They want to establish that everyone can create his own laws or his own religious path. Uh, this might remind us of uh, the sort of trendy philosophical uh, trend uh, from, it developed especially, I think, in the 1960s in France called existentialism. Jean-Paul Sartre in particular became very prominent in that. And one of the ideas of his, he wrote a lot, but one of his, I guess you can say popular ideas is that uh, existence precedes essence. The fact that we exist comes before um, any consideration of why, <laughs> any meaning. 
And what could the meaning be? He wants, they want to say, it is absurd. There is no meaning. But we are, he says further, essentially meaning, uh, needing beings. We need to have meaning. And so what to do in a universe which is meaningless? He says, make your own meaning. Create your own meaning. But it strikes me that the notion that the universe is absurd implies a sense of reason. In other words, to even have the idea that something is unreasonable or without reason or meaningless, it presupposes it to even have that idea, you must have some idea of reason, isn't it? So if that's the case, then where does that come from? That's also part of the universe. Anyway, <clears throat> he says, they want to establish that everyone can create his own laws or his own religious path. Uh, this might remind us also of uh, the popular phrase, spiritual but not religious have you met people who say that? I'm spiritual, but not religious. They even have it as an official category now. S-B-N-R. Spiritual, but not religious. So they make this uh, kind of dichotomy between spirituality and Religion. That's another, to another topic, but uh, it kind of goes into what Prabhupada is saying here, that uh, people create their own religion. They have this sense, um, they might not want to call it religion, they may want to call it spirituality. Um, uh, sort of, in, in Sweden they have the word smörgasbord, you have in English smorgasbord, <clears throat> smörgasbord, they say in Swedish, uh, it means, you know, you pick and choose what you want, which is very much um, driven now by the internet in particular. Without tracing out the beginning of the existence of these two classes, which two classes? Those who are obedient to the laws of the Supreme Lord and those who are atheists or Gnostics. Without tracing out the beginning of the existence of these two classes, we can take it for granted that some of the living entities revolted against the laws of the Lord. Such entities are called conditioned souls. For they are conditioned by the three modes of material nature. Therefore, the words gunair vichitraha are used here. In this material world, there are 8,400,000 species of life. As spirit souls, they are all transcendental to this material world. Why, then, 
do they exhibit themselves in different stages of life? The answer is given here. They are under the spell of the three modes of material nature because they were created by the material energy. Their bodies are made of the material elements covered by the material body, the spirit identity, spiritual identity <clears throat> is lost. And therefore the word mumuhe is used here, indicating they have forgotten their own spiritual identity. This forgetfulness of spiritual identity is present in the jivas, or souls, who are conditioned, being subject to be covered by the energy of material nature. Jnana guhaya is another word used. Guha means covering. Can also mean cave. Hmm? Because the knowledge of the minute conditioned souls is covered, they are exhibited in so many species of life. It is said in Srimad Bhagavatam, 7th chapter, 1st canto, the living entities are illusioned by the material energy. In the Vedas also it is stated that the eternal living entities are covered by different modes and that they are called tricolored, red, white, and blue living entities. Whoops. <laughs> Prabhupada actually is um, paraphrasing here what is in some of the commentaries, at least Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur uh, quotes a verse uh, from Veda, Typically, in the commentaries, they will just say, iti shrute, it's in the Veda. They don't tell you where. You're supposed to know where it is. <laughs> okay, um, three tricolored, red, white, and blue, living entities. Red is the representation of the mode of passion. White is the representation of the mode of goodness. And blue is the representation representation of the mode of ignorance. Oh, I remember now, um, it's mentioned, it's in the Shvetash. Shvetash Vatara Upanishad, in case anyone asks you. These modes of material nature belong to the material energy, and therefore the living entities under these different modes of material nature have different kinds of material bodies. Because they are forgetful of their spiritual identities, they think the material bodies to be themselves. To the conditioned soul, me means the material body. This is called moha or bewilderment. It is repeatedly said in the Kata Upanishad that the Supreme Personality of Godhead is never affected by the influence of material nature. It is, rather, the conditioned souls or the minute, infinitesimal parts and parcels of the Supreme who are affected by the influence of material nature and who appear in different bodies under 
the material modes. And so ends Srila Prabhupada's purport to this verse. Gunair vichitra srijatim sarupa prakritim prajaha ilokya mumohe sadya saiha jnana guhaya. Now, let's back up. Yesterday you heard, no doubt, a brilliant uh, lecture by Svayam Bhagavan Keshava Swami Maharaj on the previous verse, yes. Um, so let's get a bit of context. Saesha prakritim sukshman diving gunamayin vibhu yadrichayai vop as his pastime, that Supreme Personality of Godhead, the greatest of the great, accepted the subtle material energy, which is invested with three material modes of nature and which is related with Vishnu. And as Prabhupada points out in the purport we've read from verse 5, Leelaya is significant. We all know the word Leela, uh, and we generally think of it in terms of the Lord's play. And so it may seem strange to us uh, that this may also have something to do with creation of this world, which we understand to be not a particularly fun place. <clears throat> Rather, it's being compared to a prison, and the control of this place is identified with the department of the police, right? Um, and yet, that is what is being said. And in the commentaries, in the beginning to uh, verse 5, they tie it into verse 4. And this is very typical of commentary to show the continuity from one verse to the next. So in verse 4, we have this uh, reference to the Lord's pastime, that he accepts material, um, sorry, uh, yes, subtle material energy, uh, which is constituted of three modes of nature. And then what happens? Well, then the, uh, the, uh, the living entities come under the control of that uh, material energy. So that means that's also somehow or other, that's also the Lord's pastime. <laughs> Prabhupada would translate the word lila usually as pastime. Uh, when we think of, what do we think of? Well, we're all devotees trying to be devotees, so when we hear the word pastime, we think of Krishna's pastimes. But uh, do you have any other association with that word, pastime? Any, any mental association you have? You've, you've, you've all been indoctrinated too much into and it's hard to separate from that. <clears throat> well, what's the, the word pastime? What is it? Pass time. 
it's for passing time, right? <laughs> it's a thing to do just to while away the time, right? <clears throat> when you have nothing else to do, you, you hang out, maybe you play some game, you, you're, what are you doing? I'm passing the time. What's your pastime? Um, perhaps wasting time, we think of also. <clears throat> but it's interesting, if we think about it, where is time functional? In, in Sanskrit, the word kala is uh, one of the words for time. And there is an implication with the word kala. And what is that? It's that which destroys. It is that which makes everything deteriorate. Uh, it is that which affects all of material energy. So material, uh, so, so pat, the, if this is the pastime of the Lord, it makes sense. He is entering in this world as his pastime, but first he's creating this world, and this world, how is it functioning? Through time. What does Krishna say in the Gita when Arjuna is so utterly uh, astonished and bewildered and shocked when he sees the universal form? Yes, time I am destroyer of the worlds. Kalosmi loka kshaya krit pravidho lokam samahartomiha pravidha. Time I am kalosmi. Loka kshaya krit I'm here to destroy. And that form the Lord was showing, that form the Lord was showing was the form, uh, was a universal form of destruction. What? Well, how is it described? His mouths are consuming everything, right? In contrast to the form which he showed uh, to Duryodhana prior to this, there he shows a form, a universal form, which is, you know about this. He's, he's, he's manifesting, he's creating out of his body. <clears throat> which didn't impress Duryodhana one bit. <laughs> he said, you're just doing some magic. Um, and so he would not uh, yield to his desire to stop the war. Um, Kalosmi, so pastime, lilaya, this is, this is the Lord's, this is what the Lord does in relation to time. He creates this world. And he creates this world uh, so that there is great variety. Vichitra, the praja, uh, the living beings, uh, are vichitra. So a little hint on, um, on the Sanskrit. Can we scroll back to the Sanskrit of verse 5? Huh? It's there somewhere. Thanks to Raymond uh, Desai. 
<laughs> there we go. There we go. Okay. Yeah. So, gunarvichitra srijitim sarupa prakritim braja. So, a, a little um, a, a little point on Sanskrit uh, reading, Sanskrit grammar. You can see praja is going to be the subject of this verse. And uh, praja, what praja? Well, if you look at the end of it, it's long A, and then this, what's called visarga. And where else do we see this in the verse? Long A, visarga. Vichitraha and sarupaha. So these three words, uh, sorry, these two, vichitra and sarupa, are describing prajaha. So, which praja? The, the, the variegated praja. Uh, and what's, what sort of, what, are, what else about them? Sarupa, they have forms, they have bodies. That's it. Um, okay. Another interesting word while we're at it is mumuhe. <laughs> mumuhe. <laughs> Uh, this is a verb from the verbal root mu, mu, m u h, and um, it looks like what would be called a desiderative, desiring to be bewildered. But no, it's not. I looked it up, and it's not that. It's just um, um, it's it's expressing illusion. Being, being illusion or illusion. So dehi no sminyata dehi komaram yovanam jara tata dehantara praktir na muhyanti. They are not bewildered. So that muh, that's the same verb. They're bewildered here. All right, a bit about this bewilderment as explained. Um, in the first canto, famous famous verses, um, which Srila Jiva Goswami uh, puts a lot of emphasis on. It's the story, you all know the story. It's the story of Vyasadeva becoming prepared to write the Srimad Bhagavatam, to compose the Bhagavatam. We all know he was unhappy, he was dissatisfied, he, um, Narada, as usual, arrives just at the right time uh, to address his problem. Sometimes I wish Narada Muni would just show up when the troubles are coming, but maybe he is, Prabhupada would say, you didn't see Narada? So maybe he's there and we're just I'm too dull. <laughs> but he, he affirms what Vyasa had already suspected about himself, right? Have you ever felt yourself a sense of, hmm, something's not right, I need to do something, and then you go to a senior devotee and you... Uh, bring it up and discuss, and they affirm what your suspicion was. So this is one of 
one of Narada's functions. This is one of the functions of uh, the, the Vaishnavas, senior devotees in particular, guru in particular. Uh, so he affirms, and then he says, so oh, get to it, <laughs> get to it. Compose that which is um, focused on the Supreme Personality of Godhead, uh, which becomes the Bhagavatam, and uh, which Srila Prabhupada describes as the beautiful story of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. If someone asks you, what is this book? You're distributing books, you have a Bhagavatam. What is this? It's the beautiful story of the Supreme Personality of God. What? <laughs> yes. So what does Vyasa do after Narada gives him this advice? What does he do? Goes for a jog? Plays a game of chess? Passes the time? No, he sits down, right? <clears throat> and he meditates. Bhakti yogena manasi samyak pranihite amale. Apasha, and he meditates manasi in his mind. And then samyak pranihite amale, he comprehends completely samyak. Apashyat, and he sees. What does he see? Well, before he sees Maya, what does he see? Purusham Purnam. Apashyat Purusham Purnam Mayam Chatat Apashrayam. He sees the Lord and he sees Maya having taken shelter or in the shelter, Appa Ashrayam, uh, of uh, the Lord, Purusha. Okay, now it gets interesting, and I mention this because uh, I think it could be argued that Srila Prabhupada is referring to this in the last part of his purport. Yaya samohito jiva atmanam tri gunatmakam. Paropi manute anartam tatkritam cha avipadyate. Now, this is interesting. In the first verse, he's referred to Maya. Maya is terminology which is very much in Vedanta talk. In Vedantic language, one speaks of Maya. In Sankhya, we don't hear about maya. What do we hear? We hear about gunas. But what, is, what do we get in this second, uh, this, um, well, verse 5 of chapter 7, first canto? Yaya sammohito, sammohita, again, mohita is from that same verbal root, muh. And sammohito, totally bewildered. Right? Samohito jiva atmanam trigunatmakam. Trigunatmaka? The self becomes infused, you can say, with trigunas. 
So it goes from Maya terminology to Guna terminology. It goes from Vedanta to Sankhya. And this is something which is going on very much in Kapila Dev's instructions to Devahuti, is um, that, yes, it's all about Sankhya to understand this material world, but to really understand there is the Lord, there is the Absolute. In Sankhya, there are two principles. There's Purusha and there's Prakriti. In Vedanta, there is one principle. It's called Brahman. And of course, Vedanti tat tattva vidas, Brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti. But it's advaya jnana, it's non-dual. So, so Vedanta is all about there being one principle, one ultimate ontological entity. And the, the Vedanta game <laughs> is to understand how this multiplicity relates to the one. So this is being explained in this part of the Bhagavatam through Sankhya uh, by Kapiladev. Right. Now, for a little bit of fun, that was the philosophy part. Now comes the fun part with the help of Kavi, Kavi Karnapura in his uh, Chaitanya Chandra Dayanataka, a little passage which relates to what we've just discussed. Would you like to hear? <laughs> so um, this is uh, Chandradaya, uh, sorry, Chaitanya Chandra Dayanataka is a nataka. A nataka is a ten-act drama, Sanskrit drama. And uh, it's the first of, I think, ten different types of dramas. And uh, this, of course, it's Chaitanya Chandradoya. It's about uh, the arising of the moon who is Chaitanya. Uh, and it's a wonderful, very poetic uh, work in Sanskrit, and this is from Act 7 or, uh, of this 10-act drama. And uh, it's describing something which the first part is not found in Chaitanya Charitamrita. The second uh, little bit we'll read, or it leads into um, a short passage which you will recognize, but you'll find that it's a little different from what we find in Chaitanya Charitamrita. Or we may want to say it doesn't tell the whole story according to Krishna does. <clears throat> okay, within uh, Act 7, there is a king, and he says, is the king uh, of Karnataka well and happy? And one character named Malabhatta says, because he has friends like your good self. I believe the first king is Prataparudra. Therefore, he is always in an auspicious condition of life. However, now one very auspicious thing has happened to him. King asks, what is that? Malabhatta says, oh, great king. On the pretext 
of going on pilgrimage, a certain regal sannyasi, his complexion the color of molten gold, came from this country to the south. His presence in the south filled the king of Karnataka with bliss. And then Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya says to Malabhata, go on speaking, go on speaking. And the king Prataparuddha says, what is it? And Malabhata says, as in the north, in the south, there are many karmis, many jnanis, a few Vaishnavas, very many Shaivites, and many blasphemers. The leaders of these different groups engage in bitter debate, each attempting to establish the supremacy of his own view. This situation made our king very anxious. And uh, Prataparudra says, Then? Then? <laughs> and Malabhata, now he gives a longer description. He says, When this regal sannyasi entered the south, Young and old, all became struck with wonder when the Brahmins, eager to see him, approached and saw the splendor of his transcendental form. Without any prompting, they thought to themselves, when will I become like that? At that time, they became overwhelmed with ecstatic love. The hairs of their bodies stood erect, and tears flowed from their eyes. They all gave up the various theories they had previously accepted, and they became followers of this sannyasi. When our king heard of this, he became overwhelmed with bliss. To learn the specific details of this sannyasi's activities, the king disguised himself as an ordinary citizen and approached the Brahmins. And this may remind us of what Prataparudra does in order to approach uh, Lord Chaitanya. When he heard from their mouths of this sannyasi's wonderful activities traveling to and from Setubandha, the king became overwhelmed and he completely forgot that he was staying in the forest fire of repeated birth and death. And then Prataparudra says, Minister, your king is fortunate. And Sarvabhoma says, What? What did he hear? Tell us. And, the, and Prataparudra says, Oh, minister, please tell us. And Malabhatta says, One day, absorbed in transcendental bliss, his garments wet with tears and his hairs of his body standing up as kadamba flowers in bloom, overcome with bliss. In a choked voice, he chanted the Lord's holy name as he walked on the road. Seeing him, some atheists said to themselves, this is a Vaishnava. He will accept alms from us if we tell him that this is Bhagavat Prasadam. The atheist then took some impure food fit only for dogs and placed it before the sannyasi, saying, O Swami, 
please accept this Bhagavat Prasadam, even though he knew all that had happened when he heard the words Bhagavat Prasadam, he could not reject it. But instead, he took the plate of food in his hand. At that moment, a great bird swooped down, took the plate from his hand, and with the plate in its beak, flew away. And Sarvabhoma says, Ah, this is the greatness of the illusory potency. Even the great demigods controlling the universe are bewildered by the illusory potency of maya. Certainly maya can easily bewilder the tiny creatures of this world. Kavi karna pura ki jai. So I think that's a nice uh, point for us to remember from Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya and, of course, uh, Kapila Dev is also describing for us how it comes about and how this um, situation is one arranged by the Lord to accommodate us in our uh, rebelliousness. And, th and that is his Leela. That is his past time in this world of time. Hare Krishna. Grantaraj Shiman Bhagavatam ki jai. Srila Prabhupada ki gor premanande. Hare Krishna. I don't know if there is time for discussion. I apologize for going on so long. Yes, So, I understand the more we cover, the more we waste time. I understand that the more one is covered, the more one wastes time. Mm. So, in our efforts as, devo as devotees, we try not to waste time. But then we may overwork or <laughs> trying to do service, 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 and then overwork and see resting or recreation as a waste of time or sleeping as a waste of time. Mm. So how do we balance this? Because I don't want to waste uh, time, but I don't... It's a balancing question. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, Krishna reminds us in the Gita that uh, balance is a good thing. Yukta haraviharasya, yukta cheshtasya karmasu, yukta svapnavabodasya, yoga bhavati, dukkha. One can, uh, by practice of yoga, become free from dukkha, from misery, from suffering. If one, if and when one is yukta, and the word yukta is, uh, just a grammatical adjustment of the word yoga. One who does yoga is yukta, is engaged. Um, so, yukta ahara, one who is engaged, 
but it can also mean appropriately engaged or balanced. You use the word balance. So, yukta-ahara, one who is balanced in ahara. And ahara can mean eating, but it can also just mean all kinds of consumption, all kinds of taking something in. Uh, and that can be both physical and subtle. What are we taking into our awareness? Yukta-ahara, vihara. Vihara uh, is, can be translated as recreation. Uh, and it can mean also rest, so uh, so not taking in, relax. Vihara, V has a sense of out, out and away, and yeah. So, yukta hara vihara, yukta cheshtasya karmasu, uh, balance in one's efforts, cheshta, yukta svatna. Uh, avabodha and being renounced, uh, being balanced in one's uh, sleeping and in one's being awake. So how to balance? To balance, I think here is where um, we can invoke, dare I invoke, common sense. (laughs) Common sense. Um, being busy can be good, but being busy just to be busy may not be good, isn't it? Um, we hear of workaholics, right? People who are actually afraid not to be doing something uh, because they, they feel threatened. What is the point of my life? They, they start feeling existential angst, right? Um, so balance has to be there. But of course, this, the living entity, the soul, is always active. And so there's really a change of activity when we are, we, we may be, you know, busy in a productive way, making, doing, organizing, cooking, uh, but then we can we need to turn turn our energy into another direction. And related to this, I was thinking about this, and I believe it's there in commentary from Acharyas that the three modes of nature. Of course, we're we want to move up from Tama Raja to Sattva Guna, but all of the gunas can be used in service. So, um, how do we use tamaguna in service? Well, we go to bed at night. (laughs) We sleep, we rest, but we do it as a service. And raja, well, we undertake projects, we do things, we we go out, we uh, engage in so many activities. Um, uh, activity is is the sort of basic feature of of Rajaguna, and of course Sattva Guna, especially we use uh, in Krishna's service, all aiming toward Shuddha Sattva, of course. 
But again, but yes, how to balance, how indeed. At some point, a little voice in your mind may say, okay, this is, now it's time to slow down. Now it's time to take a break, isn't it? But sometimes not. <laughs> sometimes it's good to take a longer break in the form of uh, going to a devotee festival, right? But then you go to the festival and you find yourself totally exhausted. I'm, I'm always finding that what we call a retreat is hardly a retreat. I have to, re after the retreat, I always have to recover from the retreat. I always have to retreat from the retreat. <laughs> But still, they're, they're also, you know, a source of inspiration to be with devotees, hearing, chanting. Um, Prabhupada also speaks of, um, what is it? There's lazy intelligence as opposed to busy intelligence. Uh, and busy foolish and lazy foolish. And uh, he says, lazy intelligent is the best. But what is that intelligent side of lazy? Uh, the lazy intelligent person is one who can think how to get everything done that needs to be done, but without, you know, breaking their head, arms, legs, and everything else. And having ulcers. So thinking about how how to get how to get somebody else to do that. <laughs> which of course what we talk of preaching and much of what we mean by preaching is uh, inspiring, attracting, attracting others to engage in service, attracting people to say Yes, I could do that too. Let me take part in this. Let me help. Um, I don't know. Any other ideas? How, how do we balance ourselves? Ram Rai Phu. There's an antidote of His Grace Guru Kripa Prabhu. Mm -hmm. You can hear it on the Prabhupada Memories. Mm -hmm. um, Prabhupada had his servant, I don't know who it was, wake Guru Kripa up in the middle of the night. And he comes before Srila Prabhupada just waking up and said, why are you sleeping? <laughs> said, Prabhupada, it's 12 o'clock, you know, I'm not sleeping, I'm up, I am translating. <laughs> Prabhupada, I'm 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 a conditioned. I, no, he said, uh, I've just we've just been working 18 hours nonstop. And Prabhupada looked at him and said, "Our process," he said, "18 hours. Our process is 24 hours." <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Guru Kripa Prabhu goes on to say how Prabhupada was chastising him. Oh, you're just a you know, you're conditioned soul. You have to become a but Prabhupada, you're a Paramahamsa. 
you become Paramahamsa too. And then it got to the point where Guru Creepy was he was like getting agitated and Prabhupada just kind of said, all right, that's all right, take rest. So um, I think to the degree that one has missionary spirit, just like Srila Prabhupada had such urgency to do as much as possible in the little time that he had, mm. um, and anything that uh, Prabhupada demonstrated in his... Uh, uh, that's for us as his followers to emulate as best we can, of course, taking into accord our individual quote-unquote psychophysical natures, but Prabhupada is urging us to overcome the ordinary and uh, come to an extraordinary platform. Mm. To so. stretch the envelope. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. It's like Prabhupada's coming here to New York City uh, we just celebrated the uh, 57th anniversary of the first Kirtan at Tompkins Square Park. We all wow. went there on Monday. It was very ecstatic, a lot of potency, a lot of mercy. And uh, Satsrup Maj and Lila Marita, he gives a very long description of the event. He was there. Uh -huh. And at the end it says, if it was risky for a 71-year-old man to thump a drum and shout so loud for over two hours, he would take that risk for Krishna. <laughs> uh, he had survived the non-Krishna yoga society, waited all winter in obscurity, and now that he had bhakti, pure bhakti flowing like the Ganges to the sea, uh, it was too good to stop, you know. <laughs> Nothing had come from throwing Emerson's pouring over the Gita and the Puranas. No Hare Krishna had come from Vivekananda's speech on at World Religions at uh, <laughs> Chicago Parliament, 1893. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just Prabhupada's infinite mercy uh, yeah. coming from Lord Chaitanya to save the fallen conditioned souls. So that's what Prabhupada is offering us. He's expecting us to do that also. Mm. And um, uh, just some thoughts, Hare Krishna. <laughs> Thank you. Nice thoughts. <laughs> Valuable. <clears throat> so stretch the envelope for the mission and keep yourself balanced, keep yourself healthy. There was a time I was uh, in the Amsterdam temple. This was this would have been 1973 or early 74, and I kind of decided I need to reduce my eating. I should I should minimize eating. So I was doing my best at that until one day my nose started bleeding. Apparently, because I wasn't eating enough. And it came to the attention of the temple president, Tulsi Das. You remember Tulsi? He was, yeah. Um, he said, all right, that's it for you now. Um, for the next two weeks, you are going to eat a 10 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every day. <laughs> and I was out distributing books. I had to take a, a bag, you know, with five peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with me. <laughs> and the rest were it. So, yeah. 
Yes. I was a new devotee who was very much into austerity and not eating. So I was chosen to play Hiranyakashipu performing his austerities, standing on his tiptoes. And the great Lokamangala was the full-fledged Hiranyakashipu, the Vaikuntha players of play in 55th Street, 1980. And after the play, Jayadwaita Maharaj forced me to eat a gigantic plate of halva. He said, you're too skinny. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, so I I don't know, I find it it's an ongoing challenge to get the balance. Um I remember it, um Tribhuvanath Prabhu. Uh, he was, I mean, a glorious preacher who had no concept of balance. <laughs> it just, it was, uh, for him it was all or nothing. And, uh, I mean, it was glorious. But I can't help but thinking if he had taken a bit more care of himself, he might still be with us. Who knows? Grantarashima Bhagavatam ki jai, Shilavrovada ki jai, Shishi Radha Govinda Deva ki jai, Samaveta Bhaktarinda ki jai, Harinam Sankirtan ki jai, Gora Premanande Hari.